All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You doing good? Good. Welcome to our new teaching series called I Love My Church. I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, we're excited to be in this series for five weeks. Hold up. Come on, everybody. Say one, two, three, four, five. Just make sure you guys can count. So we got five weeks of I Love My Church. And so we've got a little thing that we want to help, or we want you to help us out with. How many of you got social media, Instagram, Facebook? Any of you? No, nobody. Everybody came to the 945 service had that kind of stuff. Well, real quick, if you'd help me out, would you pull out your phones real quick? Pull out your phones real quick, all of you that are down in the, the east venue as well as North Platte. Pull out your phones real quick. Take a quick picture. You can take a picture of me next hand next to the screen. That'd be great. Take a quick picture of this because we want you to help us out. Over the next five weeks, we want you to tell us why you love our church. I love my church because the reason I love my church, this is why I love my church. We want you to take a quick video. Keep those videos between 10 and 15 seconds long. Post those on Facebook or Instagram. Then if you tag us right there, if you tag us, that would be great. That way we can see it. And then guess what? You'll show up and you might be the person on the big screen next week. So come on. So some of you may want to doll up. You might be trying to do this in the morning while you're drinking coffee. You just woke up. That wouldn't be good. You actually might want to dress. Woo, yeah. We're ready to go. Let's put this video together. But tell us why you love New Life Church. And uh, we're going to just be, this will be a great way for you to tell your family, your friends, those in your community that serve around you. And then it's a great way for us to, to be able just to go, man, that's, man, that's true. That's why I love my church as well. So would you do that for me? Take a quick video this week of yourself. Tag it to us so we can see it, and then we're going to put together a compilation of the different videos um, from this past week, and we'll play it next Sunday. So thank you so much. Would you give a warm North Platte and Carney welcome to our lead pastor, Jeff Baker. All right. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but I love the energy that Pastor Nate brings, right? Come on. We're actually getting ready to mandate something um, here. It's coming up really quick. Uh, no one on our staff knows about it, but we're all going to be required to have haircuts just like Pastor Nate. So <clears throat> if you see that change, just know it's because he's so influential, all right? Uh, that's the way it goes. I hope that you guys are here because you want to be here, not because you have to be here. Now, I know that there's a difference, right? Some of you are here because you have to be here. I remember those days going to church because I had to be there. Uh, But isn't there a big difference between having to be at church versus wanting to be at church? Isn't there a big difference? Yeah. And so through this teaching series, we really kind of want to focus in on why a person would even want to be here. Why would they want to say, I love my church? Because we have a world full of places that we, yet we, you know, have to go to. How does it feel? You know, seriously, how does it feel when you have to go someplace, right? You have to, there's no choice in it, you just have to do it. Isn't it, doesn't it just like encourage you? Isn't it strengthen you? Doesn't it just make you just kind of like have a lot of energy? No, not normally. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. How about this place, the DMV? You have to go there. How you feel right now? A little drained, discouraged? If you are a DMV worker, please know this. New Life Church loves you, all right? We do love you. Um, but DMV, yeah, I mean, oh man, it's just kind of draining. I've got to go there. How, um, how, about, um, how about this next place, the dentist? Yeah, you, you, ha- you need to go. I mean, you, you, just, you just have to go, right? You have to. It's not like you want to go. I have not met anybody in my life yet, seriously. And you probably are sitting here right now and you're like, it's me, Pastor Jeff. But uh, you, I've never met anybody that's just like, man, I, I get to go to the dentist today. Yes. 
All right? And I've never met anybody that went like, I get to go to the DMV today. All right? But if that is you, know this. We have pastoral counseling for you. Okay. <laughs> last but not least, last but not least, this is a place some of you do actually kind of like to go, but it's a grocery store. Right? You have to go. You have to go because your budget's like my budget. I don't get to eat out for every meal. All right? If I got to eat out for every meal, then maybe I wouldn't have to go here. But do you guys know what it feels like to have to go here with some little kids? Remember that. Remember whether you go there with little kids that are your grandchildren or you go there with your own little kids. Which aisles do you always avoid? Cookie aisle. That's the first one right off the bat. The soda aisle. The candy aisle. The chip aisle. Cereal. Cereal aisle. I mean, pretty much you can walk where the onions are. I mean, you can't. You really can't go to a lot of places, you know? I mean, and then they get you right at the very end, right? You made it through. You think you got only your items in the cart. There might be a few extras that your kids threw in there, and then you're watching the scanner very closely, right? And you're like, what in the world? How'd that chocolate cake end up there? Um, and then if it, that's not bad enough, then right at the very end, it's like candy everywhere, right? And the person on the other side of the counter that's, you know, ringing everything up, like clink, click, click. Click, click. They're just like, <laughs> gotcha, sucker. All right? So, yeah, so we, you have to be there. But what do you think people think about this church? Like when people see the image of our Kearney campus or our North Platte campus, well, what do you think people think? Is it a place where it's like the DMV? Like, I, oh, God, I, I have to go there. So, like, life-draining. Can't believe it, you know? Or do you think people kind of go, I want to be there? I guarantee you, here's the difference between you and them. You want to be here. That's why you're here. Now, I got it. Some of you, you, you have to be here. That's a small percentage. Some of you feel guilty. That's why you're here. That's a very small percentage. Right? But you want to be here. What about them? See, the I Love My Church series is not so that... The church can come together and we can pat each other on the back and be like, ah, I love you, man. And we just see the best in each other and we look at each other and we tell each other how amazing we are and how incredible we are. And we just build each other up to this, you know, false place. The I Love My Church series is how do we, how do we have a church that is so healthy, that's so alive, that is so vibrant and so strong that they want, they want to love the church. Meaning, people right now that are outside of a relationship with God. That's the, that's the real essence of this entire series. Is how do we get to that place? Because I know one thing about another very small group in our church right now that's hearing my voice. There's some of you that are here today that you've been wounded by the church. You have deep wounds right now. I'm sorry that that happened you know, to you. Uh, the church is a collective group of people that are all like adhering to the same basic core, which is Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We've come to worship him. But we're humans, and we, we have the ability to wound and to offend one another. And some of you are sitting here today, and you're going, I love my church. Right. Right. And I can't go back, and I can't replay your life and take you out of that painful moment, but I can tell you this, if you will, throughout this teaching series, let your death grip off of that offense and truly put your palms up like this and say, God, I need you to take this from me, 
I believe that over this teaching series, God can take that offense from you. Because what you need to know is this, you're hanging on to this offense because it feels like it's justifiable if you hang on to it, and you feel like maybe I'll protect myself so that never happens again. But what you need to know is it's acting, it's acting like a cancer to you spiritually. It's killing you from the inside out. And this is a good moment just to say whether the offense happened here or it happened someplace else, that we're going to lay those things down and we're going to give them to God. Because at New Life here, we're not a perfect church, right? We've got a bunch of imperfect people that have all come together, and I'm one of them, and we're all come together, and we're all on one spiritual journey together, and that is, how can we become more like Jesus Christ in the way we love, in the way we live, in the way we think, in the way we give, in the way we serve, right? We, we want that. That's what we're wanting. But at the same time, we're just a bunch of people that have come together. So we're attempting to achieve what God wants us to do, but at the same time, we keep tripping our own selves up. But here at New Life Church, man, we have a dream. We have a dream that we will be a life-giving church, that we have been and that we want to continue to be. We have a dream that we would be a church for the broken and the lost, and the broken and the lost would come in, and they would find health and they would find wholeness. That's what we have a dream for. We have a dream that we're a church that would attract imperfect people who are on a spiritual journey and they would find traction right here, growing in the relationship with God. You know, we have a dream that spiritual seekers actually find God. We have a dream here that this church would be an outward-focused church, but we also have a dream that new life, new life would be a church that develops spiritually mature followers of Jesus Christ. But we have this dream that it wouldn't just be here at Kearney, and it wouldn't just be in North Platte like it is right now, but that it would be in multiple communities with thousands of people worshiping with us. Our 10-year goal, our 10-year vision is that New Life would be in multiple different communities with thousands of people joining together to worship Jesus with one voice. And that we would be seeing revival take place in our communities where the lost are coming to know Jesus and the broken are being healed. That's our dream. That's where we're going in life. And collectively, we're all part of that. If you're, in, if you're sitting in one of our venues or you're listening online right now, you have the ability to be a part of that. It's not about membership at New Life Church right now. It's about membership in the church of Jesus Christ. And he just happens to have you here. And we're just one piece of healthy churches in our communities. We know that. We know we're not the only healthy church. We just want to be a model of a healthy church that's reproducible in the communities that are in desperate need of healthy churches. Does anybody, does anybody agree with that at all? Yeah. Okay, all right. Just checking pulses, checking pulses. Now, one of the things we're excited about is what God has been doing. So if that's our vision, then what is the evidence? Like, what has God been doing? We put out what's called the Spiritual Journey Report. It just came out at the end of January for all of 2016. It's a Spiritual Journey Report. It tells us, it gives us a heartbeat as to whether new life is accomplishing its mission or not. Those are in the lobby. They're completely free for, one, for you to grab um, one of the things that we found as we looked at 2016 is that 230 people committed their life to Christ through a healthy ministry of new life, whether it was children's, youth, or adult. And I don't know about you, but that excites me in 2016, that 230 people would commit their life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? That's good. Yeah. 
That's good. Now, listen, we, we only track people that will fill out a communication card, like the one in front of you right now, right? If they'll, if they'll say, I'll fill that out and I'll mark on the back, I'm committing my life to Christ, that's where the 230 comes from. We don't count just random hands that go up in a service. We only count people that are willing to give up their anonymity and they're willing to say, I'm making this massive step. Would you help me? I'm letting you know I'm making this step. And then one of our pastors, we call people, we find out what their spiritual journey is, and then we help them with the very next spiritual step in their life. So there was many more people that committed their life to Christ, but 230 of them were willing to take that kind of step. Now, look, check this out. This is what's happened since the beginning of January. Since the beginning of January till today, 47 people have committed their life to Jesus Christ in this year, 2017. Yeah. It's amazing to me. If you're one of those 47 people, I'm looking at you right now and I'm telling you, I am super proud of you. Great step. Great step in your life. A bold step. Now you guys do realize, right, that the 230 from 2016, the 47 so far up to this date, not all those people are attending new life. Are you okay with that? I hope you are. Because when we talk about building the church We have a vision that we're responsible for, for new life. But we're also talking about building the big C church. We want people wanting to God's kingdom. Some of those people are going to give their life to Christ, that new life, and then they're going to go back to their church. You know what? That's perfectly okay, right? Right, okay, that's awesome. All right, we're on the same page. Good, good. Pat the person on the back next to you and just tell them, man, we're on the same page. That's good. We're on the same page. Now, at New Life, one of the things, if we're trying to be a church in multiple locations that has thousands of people worshiping with us, where are we at right now? Since the beginning of January to this Sunday, we haven't got this Sunday calculated yet, but we are averaging 1,191 people that are worshiping with us in um, here, in our East Venue, in North Platte, and then at the 945 worship services, and then also at the 1115 worship services. There's another 102 people on average that are joining with us online right now, sitting in their pajamas. They got a soda in one hand, potato chips in the other hand, and they're worshiping with us. Glad to have you guys with us. So that's a lot of people that are all coming together to worship Jesus. Guys, we've been on a tremendous growth track and we want to say this it's to god's glory that god wants to grow this church so that he gets the glory not so that you or not so that i or not so that a board or so our staff get the glory but that god gets the glory so why do we focus on numbers like this periodically because every number is a person and people matter to god that's why i hope you heard me why do we do this why do we celebrate the victories of a local church Because God wants the church to win. And every one of those numbers, it represented a person. One of those 230 might be the person sitting next to you. Does that number matter? Yes. One of the 1,191 people on average is sitting next to you and you're one of them. Do you matter? You better believe you matter. So why do we celebrate these types of things? Because they're people and people matter to God. And God loves his church. And so we celebrate the victories of God's church. God, from the beginning of time, had the desire for the church in his mind. In fact, God always had a plan for the church. He always had a plan. Can you fathom that? From the beginning of time, God always had a plan for the church. Even when the church didn't exist, God had a plan for it. 
In Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about this. It says that I was chosen. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He goes, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. A secret, mysterious. God had it. Paul's like, I get to give it to you. God's secret was this. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was a mystery. It was kept from prophecy, even in the Old Testament. It was kept from the wise on this earth. It was kept from the angelic beings, even in heaven. Nobody saw it coming. Then all of a sudden, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and Jesus ascending into heaven, the church rallies together. And in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, boom, the local church is birthed. It was God's plan from the beginning. It was God's hope for the world. It was what God was wanting to do. And this scripture tells us that God was wanting to get something accomplished through the local church. He wants the world to see his greatness through the variety of the local church. And wow, doesn't the local church have variety? It has so much variety. I mean, just looking at, at the, those that are worshiping with us in the West venue and thinking about those worshiping with us in North Platte and the East venue, I can only imagine the variety that is listening to my voice just at this very second. Not to mention the variety of God's church when you start thinking about the church down the street and there and what they have and the giftings that they have. The variety in God's kingdom is vast. And why the variety? What is God wanting to do? He's wanting to display his wisdom, meaning he's wanting to display his heart. He's wanting to display who he is, his character, his nature. He's wanting the local church to broadcast to the world how incredible God is. But he couldn't do it unless he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to give his life on the cross. And so Jesus, while he walked on this earth, he was the first one to unveil God's plan for the church. Jesus is the one who pulled back the veil and he started to allow our eyes to see that God had this amazing plan. And it all comes out in a conversation that he's having with his disciples. And in that conversation... All of a sudden, Jesus utters these words in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I tell you guys. And he, then he speaks to one of them. You, you're Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says to them in his own words, I'm going to build a church that nothing can come against it. Nothing can destroy it. No man, no government, no policy, no spiritual force, you know, from above this earth or below this earth can tackle it, can take it down, and can, you know, make it silent. Nothing can prevail against it. What we do is we get caught up on this one little statement where he says, you are Peter, right? You are Peter, and I will build my church on this rock. Here's what you need to know. When he called out, you are Peter, Peter was probably thinking to himself, whew, good, man. I mean, the guy hasn't used my name a lot. I was just glad to know he knows my name. That's a good one, all right? So he knows my name. And he's like, you are Peter. And all the rest of the disciples are like, well, what, what's wrong with me, right? Like, what's up? Why do you call the one guy out? Jesus, do you even know Peter? 
I mean, when you're not around, this guy's got a bad attitude. Just saying. I mean, he tried to pull out his sword one time and try to threaten me, you know, for eating that fish. I mean, he's not, he's not the best of the best. And another disciple turns to Jesus and goes, yeah, Jesus, I'm not even sure he's got it all going on up here. But Jesus looked at him and he says, you are Peter. Right? And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. We often think that what Jesus meant by that was he's going to build his church on a man called Peter. But that... That couldn't be farther from the truth. When you go back to the original language of the Greek, you see that there's a distinction between these things. That you are Peter, the word, and the reason why we get this confused is because the word Peter, it can mean rock. But it really means petros, which is a stone that you would pick up and you could throw. It was the size of a stone that you could put in your hand, a petros. His name was Peter. His name meant Petros, which meant stone you could pick up and you could throw. Jesus is looking at him and he's basically saying to him, you are the stone that I get to pick up and I'm going to put you into play. Yeah, you're going to be a part of the church, Peter, and I'm going to put you where I want to put you and I'm going to lead you the way I want to lead you and you're like a stone in my hand that I get to go and throw and toss and have it in play where I want it, when I need it. But then he says, on this rock... I'm going to build my church. I don't know about you, but we don't build things on little stones. We don't build things on stones you can pick up. We don't build things on Petros. We build things on a different rock. And when Jesus used the word rock, he meant a word called Petra, not Petros. Petra. And Petra is a large, unmovable, massive rock, something that is stable, something that's rock solid, something that man can't change. So Jesus is saying there is a rock that is strong and it is stable and man can't change it, hell can't change it, but I'm not building my church on Petros. I'm not building my church just on you, Peter. So what was the rock that Jesus was building his church on? He said it just two verses earlier. In their discussion with the disciples, then Jesus asked them, but who do you guys say that I am? And look who speaks up. Peter speaks up. Peter says, you are the Messiah, meaning you are the sent one. You are the chosen one. You are the son of the living God. This statement is the rock. This statement is the Petra. You and me, we are the Petros. We are the stones. We are the people that God will pick up and he'll go and he'll put you, like he said to me, Jeff, you're going to be in Kearney, Nebraska at this church and I want you to lead it and I want you to multiply it into different communities. And he said to some of you, I want you to go and you know, have this business and I want you to go work at the hospital. I want you to be a teacher and I want you to go here and you to go there and I want you to be you know, my witness in all these different places. And he took us like Petros, like stones, and he, and he held us up and he tossed us where he wanted us to be. But we're building his church, which is built on Jesus Christ. So the rock is when we come to worship Jesus as God. When we come to worship Jesus as leader, and when we come to worship Jesus as the senior pastor of his church, then we're coming to worship the rock. We're coming and building the church on the rock. We're building our faith on the rock, and nothing, not even hell can come against that. Don't build your church on me. I'm just a Petros, just like you. Don't build your church, your faith, on a worship team. They're just a bunch of Petros that have been tossed up onto a stage and been given a gift and said, use it. Don't build your church 
Build your faith on what a community's opinion is, like, well, that's the cool church, or that's this, or that. No, that's just Petros out there doing their thing, right? Clanging their rocks together. Build your faith, because we're building the church on the Petra. We're building our church on Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of the living God. That's what's made this church healthy, and that's what's going to continue to make it healthy. Amen? The reason why we can do that is because Jesus passionately loves his church. (laughs) I mean, Jesus is only doing one thing right now, guys. Jesus isn't worried whether the sun is still, you know, kicking out the same amount of heat. No, he put it into motion. It's still doing its thing exactly what it's supposed to do. Jesus isn't worried right now if the moon is still, you know, you know, revolving around the earth. No, it's all doing its perfect thing. He's the one that put it there. Jesus isn't worried right now about the angels in heaven and whether they're singing the song in the right key. He's not worried about it. He's not worried about the groundskeepers in heaven who are making everything just look beautiful and right. He's not worried about that. He's only focused on one thing, and that is building a church that's worthy enough to be presented before his Father. He's only focused on one thing, to build a life-giving church that transforms the world and brings glory to the Father. That's the only thing that Jesus is doing. And there's an incredible passage that shows us the love that Jesus has for his church and the attention that he's giving his church. And many times it is used in pastoral counseling when we're dealing with love between a husband and a wife. But I want you to note today, as we read this passage, it deals with a husband and a wife, but What it's really speaking of is it's speaking of the love that Jesus has for his church. And I want you to view this scripture through the love that Jesus has for his church. Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife as what? Christ is the head of the church. First and foremost, who's the head of the church? Who's the senior pastor of the church? Jesus. Jesus is. And here's who he is. He is the savior of his body, the church. What is the church? It is the collective group of people that all band together, that have one common core interest, and that is the worship Jesus will, their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what makes up the body. That's what makes up the church. Then he says, as the church submits to Christ, that's our role, submitting to Christ, not at 90%, not at 99%, at 100%. Submitting to Christ at 100%. That's our job. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now here's what it says. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Period. Pause. Just as Christ loved the church. You don't get, you don't get scripture more clear than that statement right there. Jesus loves his church. He loves it right now just the way it is, just the way you are. He loves his church so much that he gave up his life for her to make her what? Holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's own word. He did this to present her to himself back in heaven as a glorious church without fault, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Wow. Now we've been talking this morning about the collective gathering of the church, all the believers coming together. But right now, I want to bring it back to just you. 
right? If it was just you and it was just me and this sermon was being preached and it was just you here, you need to know something. This passage was being spoke about you as an individual. And did you realize that Jesus loves you so much that he gave up his life on a cross for you so that one day, one day he could present you before his father without a fault, without a spot, without a wrinkle, holy and righteous in in God's eyes? You look at yourself in the mirror, you don't see it, do you? But when Jesus looks at you, that's what he's preparing and everything he's doing, 100% of his activity is being worked at trying to help you become righteous and holy in God's eyes. And it's all because of what he did. It's because he gave his life on the cross. And what's our role? It told us right in that role. Submit to him. When we submit to him, then he can, he can wash us clean through God's word, through the power of God's truth. He can present us before God without fault and without blemish. Now listen, back to us. We're no perfect church. But I know this. Jesus has done everything, and he continues to work at presenting this church before God without fault as well. Why? Because of God's amazing grace that covers us. So what should, what should you do to love your church? And why should you love your church? Those are two things I want to answer before I wrap up. First, why should you love your church? It was God's plan. It's not man's plan. It was God's plan. That's why you can love it with a pure love. Another reason why is because God gave the very best he had for this church. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. It's great assurance in the creator God who gave his very best, which means that you can love this church. You can love this church. You can love his church. Another reason is because This church can make you more like Jesus. Yeah. Did you realize that? That as we come together and as we let each other sharpen one another, as we speak life into each other, as we encourage each other, that we can literally help each other become more like Christ? We can think more like Christ, love more like Christ. You know, that's part of why you should love this church. Another reason why you should love this church is because this church is part of God's hope for the world. We're just one life-giving church in Kearney and in North Platte right now. We got that. But we're part of a hope for the world, that God wants to use this church. Remember what he said? Why, does he, why did he start the church? So that he broadcast to the world his wisdom, broadcast to the world who he is. That's the hope of the world. That's why we should love the church. So without excuses, I challenge you, I challenge you deeply to give this church your greatest priority because it's his church. Give this church your greatest priority when it comes to your Sunday worship and your attendance, to your, to your ministry involvement, you know, to your financial giving, and even to your prayer. And I would just, as a side note, without, with, no, with no joking, I'm just telling you, I need your prayer. I need your prayer for wisdom on how to lead this church. I need your prayer for God's covering on my life to protect me from, you know, the enemy and the schemes that he has to try to trip me up and tear me down. I need your prayers that God would give me wisdom to lead. And I covet those. So I challenge you without, without excuse to give this church your top priority. I also challenge you to participate in the unity of this church. Defend this church. 
Stand up for her and defend her. Never talk bad about another person in this church. Keep your lips silent and shut when it comes to negativity and, you know, gossip about another person in this church. Protect the unity of this church. And I would challenge you to do what I try to do. Assume the best in others before you assume the worst. And if you find that the worst has happened, then correct it in a loving, godly way. Protect the unity of this church so that the message of this church and the community can stay crisp and clear and and pure. Lastly, without without any excuses, I ask you to forgive those in this church that have offended you. I would even go beyond that. Forgive those in the big C church that have offended you as well. Some of you are from other churches and you're here right now. You might be here for the rest of your life. Or this might just be a season for you. And one day you'll be back at, at the church you came from. I have no idea. I'm not God. I don't, I don't guide people's steps. But I know this, that if you're here and you're carrying an offense from another church that's part of the big C, the overall church, it's time to let that go. And let this be a house of healing for you. So there's a lot. There's a lot about loving God's church. There's a lot of things we're going to be talking about through this teaching series. We're going to be talking about loving through, you know, being connected. We're going to talk about loving this church by serving. We're going to talk about loving God's church by giving. And in your bulletin right now, there's two giving campaigns that we're doing here at New Life. And I would invite you to be a part of one or both. And that is, we got to pave the way, right? Where we pave the way, we put more parking, we put some entrances in so that more people could come and it could be more convenient for seniors and others to park really close to our building and come in you know, where the front of our building slopes down. And so we're looking, seriously, we're looking for about $500,000 worth of pledges over the next few years. Um, and with a church our size, that should be able to happen with no problem, just so that we pay that thing off quick. We just want to pay it off quick. We don't want it to be hanging around our neck, right? We just want to pay it off quick. So we're going to be collecting um, those cards on Sunday, April the 2nd, when I talk about how to love your church through giving. But then if you're not tithing, now that's, being, that's going back to submitting to God. That's an obedience to God. And I would challenge you, take a step of obedience to God and start tithing. So we got the tithe challenge, right? That's the 90 days. You start tithing. If it doesn't work, we'll give you all your money back. All of that starts on Sunday, um, April the 2nd. We're not asking you to turn your card in now. I'm just asking you to be in prayer. God, how can I love your church through giving? And then the last week of the series is loving your church by sharing. And then right after that is Easter. I like that. Love your church by sharing. <laughs> and then we're going to turn around and all week long figure out how we can invite people to come and hear the life-giving message of Jesus. So today, we're, we're going to take it into a very practical point, And we're going we're to worship God. And we're going to spend time worshiping the one who created this church. Worshiping the one who defends this church. Worshiping the one who wants to see this church win. And so I want to ask you, if you would, in just a moment, if when you stand, you would stand with a heart that just goes, God, I want to worship you with everything. That I'll lift my voice to you. I'll lift my hands to you. And that I'm going to be in unity with my other brothers and sisters that are in this church that are a part of what you're doing. And we're going to worship you, God, because, Lord, you, you're the center of this church. You're the senior pastor of this church. And church, we get the opportunity to come and worship him. So worship Jesus with passion today. And worship him with a heart of gratitude, knowing that he is for us. He's not 
against us. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. So Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, that you are for us and you're not against us. Thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. You're the beginner uh, of everything and you end all things. And Lord, from the beginning of time, you had the desire in your heart that the church would be alive, that it would thrive, and that it would display your glory and your wisdom to the world. And that's who we want to be. But we're a bunch of imperfect people that have come together in desperate need of your spirit to lead us. So, Lord, as we come to worship you, we invite you, Holy Spirit, have your way in our midst. Have your way in our time of worship. Speak to us, change us, transform us. And, Lord, as we worship you, may we worship you with passion in our hearts. Just giving you everything we have, passionately seeking you. Because, Jesus, you are our defender. You are our captain. You are the senior pastor of this church. And we love you. And may we express this love to you through our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.